Tuesday night, 8 p.m. It was a magic time, a sacred gathering. Not just any Tuesday, but every Tuesday between 1982 and 1987. Gathered to watch miracles happen, the most amazing things occur. Truth, justice, and every good virtue was pitted against the evil of the world. Great men, heroes, you would call them, helped those who were in need. And if you had a problem, and if no one else could help, and if you could find them, maybe you could hire the A-team. That's right. That was my show. Through my preteen and early teen years, the A-team. John Hannibal Smith... Bosco B.A. Baracus, Templeton Peck, Hal and Mad Murdoch. These guys were mercenaries. Now, maybe you haven't seen the show, but I did. These guys were mercenaries, and they were on the run from the government for a crime they didn't commit. They became mercenaries. And they would help people in need, people who were in trouble, people who were hurting, and they rarely got paid for it. it tells you they weren't very good mercenaries. They'd ride into a town into their, in their gray and black GMC van with that characteristic red stripe on it, and they'd shoot their mini-14 rifles, but never actually seemed to ever hit or hurt anybody, and they'd save those who were poor and weak and helpless. I mean, this is good fodder for a teenage boy watching TV. Great stuff. Let me tell you, I also, also loved Airwolf and Kung Fu and MacGyver, and all of them had this same kind of storyline. The storyline of good men who were reluctant to fight, but eventually pushed to stand up to fight against evil and to help bring peace and justice week after week. That stuff jazzed me up as a teenager. Let me tell you. Truth is, the idea of the common man becoming a superhero still jazzes me up a little bit. The one man risking everything to make a difference in the world. It's perhaps why I'm a pastor, and certainly why I came to Christ. Because one man can make a difference. Our series that we're going through right now is called Broken Blessings. We are going through the Beatitudes, these strange blessings that don't sound very much like blessings. Blessing, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. It sort of turns the whole world upside down when you read those, because that's not what the world blesses. It's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, one of the longest sermons that we have recorded from Jesus. And he starts off with these blessings that turn the world upside down. And the whole rest of the sermon turns it upside down too. And if you've been here, we've had a challenge for everybody to read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, just once a week. A couple 10, 15 minutes maybe at most will it take to do that every week. And just kind of live in the moment of all of these upside down blessings and all of these strange things that Jesus challenges, with, challenges us with. And we've based the concept on this idea of kintsugi. If you see the picture of the bowl up there. Kintsugi is this Japanese art form where a broken bowl or a cup or a plate or something like that, a useful thing is broken, and then it's repaired with gold. 
And it is thought to be much more beautiful because it was broken than it ever would have been as just the original object. That idea is a beautiful metaphor for our lives in Christ. To recognize that we were broken and Christ repairs us in such a beautiful way. The idea that that we started with was the idea of God makes beauty from ashes. There's this idea of these blessings that it becomes a crescendo, almost almost like what we call an ordo salutis, an order of salvation, an idea that it's building and building and building and you begin as this one thing and you slowly move and grow into the rest. That you start as poor in spirit, recognizing your need for God. That you mourn, blessed are those who mourn, because you know what your sin is in the depth of it. When you realize how much you need God, you mourn. You mourn at how far that you've strayed, and you recognize that the people around you have strayed also. Blessed are the meek. You become gentle and humble when you realize that you can't do this yourself, nor can anyone else. We all desperately need Christ. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are you for realizing that you need holiness and need to be repaired. Blessed are you for being merciful. You give mercy to others who are in need of mercy because you realize you were that broken human being. You were the one lost and that other person desperately needs mercy. So you give it. And then blessed are the poor in heart, the people who are cleansed in Christ, who receive the gift of Christ's righteousness so that when God looks at you, he sees God's righteousness in you. Oh, there's two more of these blessings left. And today we're in Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. I love this one because for me, it's that practical action. I always want to know, what can I do? Well, put me to work. Give me something to do. I don't do contemplation well. I don't do waiting very well. I don't do patience very well. That is perhaps weakness in me. Okay, it is. But I like action. I want to go do. I want to make something happen. And this one gives me one. Blessed are the peacemakers. I can do that. I can go be a peacemaker. The, the root word in Greek for the peacemaker there is irene. It means peace as we understand peace, but a little bit more. But the word that actually is here in pe- for peacemaker is ireno pois. That is a peacemaker, or perhaps maybe better translated a peace bringer or a peace doer. It means peace people. It's a sense of action. It's not the peace of sitting back under a nice tree and enjoying a babbling brook and maybe a nice book. That'd be nice if that's what that was, but it's not. It's about bringing it. If you go even further, you see that peace is mentioned in the Bible over 375 times. That's the direct word peace, but it gets even more when you come into its, in its, into its root words and into its uh, related words that go with it. Peace is one of the prime ideas in the Bible. Peace with God. Peace with other people. Heck, peace with yourself. 
God's name, one of God's names is Yahweh Shalom. God is peace. We call Jesus the Prince of Peace. The Hebrew word, I shared with you the Greek word for peace. The Hebrew word is shalom. I love that word, shalom. It is a greeting. If you are a Jew, if you speak Hebrew, you greet and say goodbye. Shalom, shalom. Peace be with you. It's not just the absence of conflict, that word for peace. It's something more. If you've been around for a while, you've probably heard that. Our very key verse for our congregation, and you'll see it up on the wall out there, is from Jeremiah 29, 7, where he says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city where I have placed you, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its welfare you shall find your own. It uses the word shalom three times there. Shalom means completeness, or at least its root word shalim means completeness, wholeness, wellness, welfare, prosperity, health, tranquility, the blessing of God's grace. There's so much packed into this one word. I want you to love that word as much as I do. Shalom. It's more than just that absence of conflict. It's something more. And with it comes this idea of of action, of doing it, to bring this peace, to make this peace happen. You see, in that verse I just read you, where God instructs us to seek the peace and prosperity, the shalom, of the city where I have placed you, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its shalom you shall find your own shalom. You got to understand what was going on at the time. That was the group of Israelite people who had been completely conquered, had been completely taken away and kidnapped and taken off to Babylon to another country, far away, away from their families, away from their friends, their city destroyed, their army beaten in battle, as put down and crushed and oppressed as you could imagine being. And God's instructions are, I put you there. And while you're there, this is what I want you to do. I want you to work for peace and prosperity for your city. Wait a minute. These are our enemies, aren't they? Yes, work for their peace and prosperity. Work for their welfare, the welfare of that city. Because in it you will find your own health, your own peace, your own shalom. God doesn't give instructions lightly, and this is an instruction that passes through to us today. Because blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. John 1.12 tells us that all who receive him, Christ, he gave the right to be called sons of God. If we receive him, we will do this work of peacemaking. If we are sons of God, we will be peacemakers. Are you catching that? It's like reflexive. It goes back and forth. If you're a child of God, you will be a peacemaker. If you're a peacemaker, you will be called a child of God. What does this mean practically? I told you I'm a practical guy. I want to know what to do with this. You can tell me, blessed are the peacemakers. Okay, well, how do I do that? There's three. The first is 
the idea of peace in us. We have to start here. It has to start somewhere. Isaiah 26.3 says, you, God says, or you, God, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast on you because he trusts in you. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast on you because he trusts in you. Where's the peace come from? It comes from God. That perfect peace there is fun because the words are shalom, shalom. Complete completeness. Prosperous prosperity. Peaceful peace. Welfare of all welfare. It, it, is, it is this abundance, overflowing peace that comes from God. The concept is repeated in Philippians 4 where he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. That's that shalom, shalom. Complete peace. Where do we get it? From God. It comes from abiding in him, from living in him, from spending time with him, from meditating on his word, from knowing him, from praying to him, having those conversations. Shalom, shalom. The peace of all peace. And it'll guard your hearts and minds. Now, I'm not going to pretend that that's easy. Let's be honest. We get anxious. I, I am chief of sinners in this. I get frustrated and worried and thinking about all these things that happen and all these things. That, and what did that person say? And how did that person treat that person? I get a lot of that being pastor here, seeing how people talk to each other in the congregation or people outside the congregation who talk and cause problems for those of you here. My heart hurts with yours. And that stuff rests in here. I can tell you, Pastor David and Pastor Bernie, it's the same and it's hard not to get anxious sometimes. So what do we do? We just stop and pray sometimes. I can't even tell you, maybe three, four times this week, where between the three of us, we've just, oh, I think we just need to stop and pray for that. And then, you know, we discussed this morning about, about two or three things happening to someone at once. Sometimes in life, you're feeling like, holy moly, I was waiting for the other shoe to drop about 10 shoes ago. Everything just seems to pile upon and pile upon and pile on and these things build up and it's easy to be anxious. The peace of God comes to us through the connection with him, abiding with him. See, the thing that we have as believers is we know where we're going and we know who wins. Things may be hard at the moment, but if we can keep that focus, that shalom, because we know where we're going when it's all said and done, and we know who wins in the end, that should give us hope to focus on Christ in the hard times. The important thing as believers is right here. Can I tell you that? For peace, you need others at peace with you. We need community. And here's one thing that I've noticed. When people are struggling in life, when, well, you, 
I'll even be honest myself in some ways. It's easy to draw away from this. I see far too often as a pastor when people are going through hurt and pain, when people are dealing with hard issues in their lives, when people have gotten that hard diagnosis or, or they've been through just the worst of the worst, they start to draw away from here, from each other. You see, we bring that shalom, shalom to each other also. And the worst thing you can do is draw away. The best thing you can do is in fellowship, be peace to one another. The second thing that we get out of this is the issue of peace in relationships. Because if we're going to be here together with all these other people, we're going to rub on each other once in a while. We're going to hit those hard edges. If you're a part of a family of any kind, you're going to find struggles. You're going to hit those hard edges. You're going to find those anxious moments and those struggle and If you go to work, you're going to find these. If you go to school, you're going to find these because people are difficult. Go ahead and shake your head as long as you know that you're one of those people. Yeah, me too. Romans 12, 18 says, As far as it depends on you, live at peace with others. That's our calling. That's part of our job. Peace. This is that peace bringer thing. This is that peacemaker thing. We bring peace into our lives and into others because God has called us to. I've shared before, but if I can, I think one of the most important things to know as a Christian for relationships occurs in two places. Matthew 18, I'm sorry, 15, 18, and Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Matthew 15, 18, if your brother sins to you, does anybody know what it tells you to do? Go to him. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says, if your brother has something against you, what do you do? Go to him. If you broke the relationship, you go. If they broke the relationship, you go. Whose responsibility is it to go? Yeah. Raise your hand and say, I. I. Me, mine. It doesn't matter if they hurt you. You are called to go to them. It doesn't matter if you hurt them. You're called to go to them. God values relationships extremely highly. Now, I'm going to take a second here and say something. There are some things that people have done that go beyond the pale of easy forgiveness. There are things that people have done to each other and Perhaps some of you, in fact, I know some of you in this room have had people do things to you that it doesn't make it okay to go to them. That's where we come back to this in as much as it depends on you. Because there are the parents out there who were brutal to their children. There are spouses out there that have hurt their spouse. There are people out there who are just mean and downright nasty. And have no interest whatsoever in ever coming to you. We do our part and go to them. But there's a line sometimes that has to be drawn. So I want you to understand that. We don't draw that line easily. 
but there are times when we must protect the ones that are hurt. I always have to give that caveat in there. As much as it depends on you, make every effort to make peace. I find it interesting when it talks about relationships with others. You think back, the word peacemaker in our culture refers to a gun. God made men and Sam Colt made them equal. The Colt Peacemaker, 1852. Nice little revolver, great for target shooting, but what was it used for? It was for, used for killing. That's the way of our world is when someone shoots at us, we shoot back, right? When someone hurts us, we hurt back. When someone dramas in our life, we add drama back. But that's the way of the world. The way of the Christian is not to bring the fight to the fight. The way of the Christian is to bring the peace to the fight. We are the peace bringers, the shalom. And so when something's going on and someone's hurting us and someone's attacking, our job is to bring peace. Now perhaps that just looks like not responding kind for kind. Sometimes that looks like just being the one who's friendly and polite no matter what the other person's saying. Sometimes that might even look like giving someone a hug that you don't even feel deserve it. And sometimes, as much as it depends on you, it means going to them to make that peace. Relationships are highly valued by Christ. Ephesians 5 tells us to submit to one another. Submit to one another. This is not a husband, wife, parent, child, leader, sub-guy. It is submitting as believers to one another. And that submitting is a very hard thing to do when someone has said or done something to hurt us. Parents and children. Children are told to submit to their parents, but the parents are told, don't frustrate your kids. Don't make it worse. Husbands and wives are told to submit to each other. To be peace bringers to one another. In so much as it depends on you, go to them. Make the choices that don't hurt. Say the things that matter, that value one another, that build each other up. It talks about slaves and masters the same way. And we could apply it in our culture today to our bosses and employees. All Christians are called to submit to each other. That's that go to them. That's that humility. That's that ability to go and bring peace to the other person. I will tell you, I have said a lot of things in my life in the moment of anger and hurt that weren't very Christian. In fact, I struggle with peacemaking myself. Because when I get angry, I just want to let fly. One of the most important things I have learned about this is why community matters. Because it just takes one person to break that cycle. 
If someone is yelling, they're angry, they're hurt, they're blasting out, they're lashing out, and the other person attacks back, what happens? It escalates. If that person is blasting, lashing out, angry, letting fly, and the other person just once doesn't respond in kind, responds with a kind word, responds with a, yeah, you're probably right. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? When you come back with words of peace and words of gentleness in that moment, you change everything. Because it's kind of hard to be an angry jackass lashing out at people when they don't fight back. Peacemakers are the people that glue the pot back together. Peacemakers are the ones that help make it all whole again. We read the words, blessed are the peacemakers, and think, eh, that's nice. What a sweet sentiment. But what I'm describing is not easy. It's hard. It's downright difficult. It's hard. It's messy. It's ugly sometimes. But peacemaking becomes the powerful testimony of a Christian. We, as Christians, if we live a life of peacemaking, that is preaching the gospel to others. Jesus declares that the elements of true blessedness include being a peacemaker. It's an essential part of Christian living, and there is no peace, no true peace for anyone who's outside Christ. That true is in the gospel. Peace comes from Christ. And that brings us to our third and final lesson here, is that our job, our calling is to bring others to real peace. That means bringing the gospel with us everywhere we go. Because then we bring real peace to people who don't know it. Romans 5.10 tells us that we were enemies of God. And while we were his enemies, that is, in sinful rebellion to him, his son died on the cross for us. Romans 5.1 tells us we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that broken relationship when mankind sinned from the beginning, that broken relationship is, is repaired in Jesus Christ. We are reconciled to God and made whole again. We're back in, in uh, relationship with God because of the actions of Christ. Though, thus, we must be the ones that bring that peace to others. That's our calling. That's what we are called to do. I can't even get over that enough. We need to be taking this peace out to the world around us. We are called to seek the peace and prosperity of the city where God has placed us. Does that sound familiar? I've heard that somewhere. We're called to pray to the Lord for the city, for in its welfare we shall find our own. Every single one of us is out in this city, in this neighborhood, in this community, day in and day out. Our workplaces, our schools that we go to, the grocery shop we visit, the Starbucks that I go to every day, all of the places that are out there, we're out and about in, and we 
We have two buckets with us. We've got these buckets that we're carrying around and it's peace that we're supposed to give away. They're like gifts. Charles Spurgeon says, if sinners be damned, if they're going to hell, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. Picture those people. Maybe even it's just that one specific person in your life that you know needs Christ, needs that peace of Christ. Charles Spurgeon here, I love his view of just wrapping your arms around their legs and they're trying to move forward to hell, but you're trying to drag them back. That gift of peace is yours to carry, but you're called to carry it and give it away into a world that's ugly with violence. My goodness, friends, I'm on Facebook a lot. I'm a Facebook guy. And the drama and hurt that I see out there, that people just blow all over each other, My God, I want to give them peace. I pray when I'm on Facebook. Every time I see something like that, every time I see those people, you know, the opposite of a peacemaker is a troublemaker, right? Every time I see the troublemakers who stir up, I pray for them. We have a job to do. Gustav Alain, a uh, theologian, in his book, Christus Victor, said, Christ died to save us all, and it's done. Just like when the Americans and British allies landed at D-Day. As soon as they landed and held that beach, Germany was done for. As soon as we had that beachhead, they were done. There's still a whole lot of work left to do to clean it all up, but at that point in time, they were losing from that point forward. Such it is with us, Christ has conquered sin, but we're here left to bring peace, to bring that message of peace to the world around us. And there's a lot of mopping up left to do. And we're those soldiers there to complete that work. The beginning of all peacemaking, the peacemaking that goes on in our lives for us, the peacemaking that goes on in our relationships, it starts with bringing peace to others, being that peacemaker We're not like the A-team, bringing peace on television, but we are on the team, bringing peace to the people around us. We are peace bringers, peacemakers.